Hello and welcome in to the 12th episode of the Promo Guy podcast, brought to you by Mojo, the stock market for sports, and Underdog Fantasy. Today is Thursday, July 13th, but you'll be listening to this Friday at the earliest. I am once again joined by my friend Nick from Blue Duck Media. Nick, how are you doing today? What's up? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Just enjoying the all-star break and, you know, having a couple days to sort of reset and have it not be too busy. Yeah, as a man who doesn't really gamble on baseball all that often, and it's all-star break, it's been a uh, it's been a very quiet gambling week for me. I guess I have, I did bet live, take Medvedev live the other day when he was losing to that American, I forget the American's name. But it is a quiet gambling time of the year. Yeah, that's a nice win. Tennis is sort of keeping action going. But uh, why don't we get into the A block, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you want to take us through the state of stack? Yeah, sure. So this is the part of the podcast where I talk about sort of recent performance. So obviously, I just came out with the June results, which were great, up, up over $800. All of that. Now, the first week and a half, two weeks of July have been not great. Uh, the state of stack is Twitter account. I don't know the exact numbers. My guess is we're down around $250. That is largely led by a couple of Caesars losses and FanDuel boost struggling in the first, again, week and a half, two weeks. Nothing too, too painful, but you know everything always gets sort of magnified when there's not a lot of action. Uh, in terms of the Discord, it's been a bit better thanks to, again, Dinger Tuesday. We continue to do really well with that promo. Uh, I'll have to get the latest numbers. We didn't have it this past Tuesday, which is unfortunate. But the week before, we made, looks like, $43 on the home runs and then a previous free bet. So I guess since we last done it. And then we added from free bets another $88 this week. For limited and $300 for unlimited. And then the unlimited on home runs last week was $136 plus $73 in free bets from just free bets on that day. So it's been a really good, really, really good couple months, honestly, for Dinger Tuesday, basically since the promo started. Uh, so unlimited is now up to $1,845 in profit. And limited is up to $861 in profit. So we keep actually increasing the average. We're in the the... I don't know, mid 60s now, low mid 60s for average and limited profit per week, which again is really great considering the whole promos you bet on home runs and you get $50 in free bets each week. So the other thing that's been kind of carrying the discord is the fantasy sports channel. You know, that's the prize picks, underdogs, et cetera, of the world. And our guy, Caldy Gaming, who sort of runs that for us and who's going to be joining the podcast next week, has had another stellar week. Yesterday alone, he made five units, which is doesn't sound like all that much, but when you do a bunch of quarter unit, half unit plays, so the way he does it's zero to one unit uh, scale, it, it really is very great. He's been so consistent every month, every honestly, almost every week. He's been really profitable. So uh, that's been a bit of a saving grace for, for some people in the Discord in July. Uh, and then everything else just been really quiet. Now, as far as the gambling landscape update, you know, I did a lot of this last week, so I don't want to be too repetitive, but many people are very angry about, I'll start with DraftKings doing $5 limits. Like last year at this time, they completely went away. If I go to my spreadsheet and we look at how many bets were last year in July in total, 
let's see. We had 52 line items, so bets in total. Really, really light. DraftKings was actually down that month. Uh, we were small up overall. This month, I think we're going to have a lot more than 52 line items, but it's just going to be lower maxes. So pretty similar to last year, just kind of across the board. Caesars is actually doing much, much more than they did previous times. My opinion on this is I am not going to get upset about what DraftKings is doing until I see them not do it for football because year over year, DraftKings has been much, I don't want to say much better, but DraftKings has been better this year with promos. Like promos have only gone up in the last year versus the year prior. So for people kind of overreacting and saying this is the end of promos just because they're quiet in July again this year, I think it's kind of silly. But that doesn't mean I think it'll forever go up. I just mean that them doing exactly what they did last year, but instead of giving us nothing, they're giving us $5 max. It just isn't really news to me. And then they came out last year with this crazy up 10 promo, which is so great. If $5 maxes continue during football, I will be up in arms, freaking out. Obviously, we'll drop them off the EV rankings, all of that. Like they will feel the wrath of promo guy. But I think this is a whole bunch of nothing right now. I think that they've only been increasing their promos of the last year, like I said, and that them doing that again in July, but you have to compare it year over year. You can't compare July to October when there's football and basketball. You have to compare it to last year's July. And compared to last year's July, it's even better. FanDuel, I don't want to say similar story. That they've been a little bit better. Obviously, some people have the $25 max instead of 50 maxes that happened midway through last month. Uh, I will say that I want to give credit to FanDuel. I know that the boosts have been struggling in July. They've given out some really strong EV ones. The Otani hit one, the Yes Run First Inning, and the All-Star Game. And these are like 20 30% EV plays. And they've had a few of them lately. There was obviously the golf one last month that was through the roof. I mean, all they can do is give us really high EV plays. And if they look at moving a fraction of people, I don't know if fraction is the right word, but let's say a third of people to $25 maxes and replace that with higher EV boosts, I'll be very happy. We saw that a bit towards the end of last year, not the lower maxes, but just sort of saving up during the week. And then a Sunday in football, they're giving us seven boosts in a day, stuff like that. I'm optimistic that we'll see some of that this year. And I think that FanDuel, if I had to say, just because they still have Dinger Tuesday, because they're still giving us some pretty high EV boosts, would probably be number one in the EV rankings right now. As much credit as I have given to DraftKings and I'm about to give to Caesars. Caesars, month over month. I mean, year over year, so much better. I mean, again, win or lose, like that's, I don't know. It's not really on them. It's not really up to them. But giving us... 33% max. Then the Wimbledon boosts that are coming out, those are $50 max. The home run boost they've been doing, 25%. Like they're sticking with the $50 max and they're not coming out every day with stuff, but it's been more frequent, much better than last year. I think DraftKings and FanDuel really, I mean, not FanDuel, DraftKings Caesars have somewhat learned their lesson from last year where they completely went away during the dead time and lost a lot of market share for that. So again, I'm I'm happy with Caesars. Obviously not pumped with these DraftKings $5 maxes. I think it's lame too, but I just think it's, you have to compare it year over year and we'll see what football brings, but I'm not going to bash DraftKings until I, I see them during, you know, have real declines year over year from the year before and say, okay, now I'm seeing a clear trend of a downturn. Cause I've only seen a trend of an upturn versus last year in terms of their promos and the way they approach it. And yeah, then that makes complete sense. Yeah, great. So I, I think we can we can move on from gambling landscape update. I don't want to be too repetitive last year. Some people have asked me, I guess I'll just say some people have asked me to stop posting 
the DraftKings ones as sort of like a mini protest. We can get into all that with football, but I don't think I'm ever really going to do something like that just because so many people start out with $5 units, with $10 units. So it's essential to their bankroll, to them having fun, to them doing this whole thing that they still play these promos. It's It can still be very profitable relative to your unit size. And yeah, some people have made thousands of dollars. I mean, even just the last few months for us, June plus 800 something, right? Uh, May was maybe slightly worse, up 667. April, up 1800 something. March, up 1500. Yeah, like you get, you get the idea. February, up 900. So people are getting used to making, let's say, $1,000 a month over the last six months, over the last, honestly, couple of years. And yeah, they get annoyed that you're not going to be able to do that when the maxes are cut in half. But we've never done well in July and we've never expected to do well in July. So I'm not going to overreact that, but I'm also some people making $300 in a month off their five to $10 unit is amazing. And they're pumped about that. And, and I'm going to help those people, even if you're not that interested. And some people with $100 units still like the $5 plays. It's it's something to root for. And, and you're still betting in a positive way. And people just kind of enjoy doing it that way, even if it's not going to pay the bills. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I, I would obviously want to keep seeing those types of posts out of you. And it makes sense that during this time of year, if if promos are up year over year and people are just frustrated because we're in a downtime, it, it makes a lot of sense that you're waiting to see what each one of the big players does during football season. Because that's when the like, promos really start to come flowing back in and you see a lot more action. So I, I'm on the same page. Don't stop po- posting for us, TPG. Uh, the, the people need you. Awesome. Uh, let's do. Let's go to the wheel sports. What, what do we have today? What are the options? All right, we've got an MLB All Star break check in. We haven't really done too much baseball on the wheel of sports, so hope we get that. We have the Bama cheating scandal. We have Wemby career predictions, NBA free agency recap, and TPG's real name. Let's I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little nervous about TPG's real name since that's the only bold one in our in our Google Doc. It's bold for a reason. Let's see what we is, get. Is that always? Is it always the only bold? Or is Hank just messing with us? And look at that. We're talking MLB All Star Break check in. I think we probably want to focus. The one thing we spoke about most was Otani's pending free agency is going to break the sport. How do we see that playing out? And we're looking at right now, the Angels are sitting outside of the playoffs at the All Star Break. Is there a chance he gets traded and they try and get some value out of him before he leaves this offseason? How do you see everything playing out with Otani? Yeah, I think this is one of the cooler free agency type things we've seen in any sport just because we seem to know so little, right? It, It sounds like he wants to stay on the West Coast. I don't think in any sport there's really someone quite as valuable as him. And maybe you go back to LeBron when he had his free agency uh, and he ended up going to the heat. What was that? 2010. Like that, that's kind of yeah. the top where, where there are several teams in the mix. I think the, the Cavs, obviously the heat, obviously. And then I think the bulls and Knicks were also sort of looming. I think that's kind of the only comparison where, where Otani seem it seems like it's plausible. He goes back to the angels, but he says he, his first priority is winning and they're obviously struggling to feel the winner around him. You have the Dodgers who seem Again, excuse my lack of knowledge of the financials here, but seem the most likely to be willing to spend 
the 600, 700, whatever million dollars it's going to take to get this guy. And then the Mariners, who this is kind of a story because, well, other than the fact that he's like the best player of baseball of all time, it's a story because the Mariners were, the Mariners fans were chanting, come to Seattle during the All-Star game for Otani. And it seems like he has some connections to there. I'm very interested to see what, what he gets paid. I'm interested to see how this all plays out. I mean, could the Yankees come in? I mean, just like, I feel like in our lifetime, they've always sort of swooped in and had this big offer. Reminds me of like A-Rod when I was a kid. But it doesn't seem like that they are either financially in the right space for that or if he really wants to go to, to New York. But well, they just I'm, they just soiled the pinstripes. They just got their first sponsor. I think they're getting paid like twenty five million a year, so that gets you almost halfway to. I guess I think that might get you like a third of the way with with how this is looking. So if he's if he's gonna get seventy a year for ten years, twenty five mil, I think that could be the first help. domino. How's lining it up? That's really funny. Uh, I mean, is that a reasonable number to pay? Like, I guess what my question with how much he's gonna get paid is. So the top hitter who was that judge? Does he have the top recent contract? And yeah, what like I think he was nine years, three sixty. Okay, so he's getting paid forty million a year, right, for that nine year, call it ten year span, and then you add up whatever pitching equivalent, which is probably in the thirties, right? So as a yeah. hitter, Otani might be slightly worse than Judge, like so call it. 35 million a year he'd get paid if he was just a hitter and then as a pitcher he'd probably get paid like 35 million a year does that mean he's going to get paid 70 million a year because i guess there's i wonder if there's a discount to if all of this stuff is guaranteed is an owner really going to give one person granted they play two positions 700 million dollars with the possibility that you know you have some sort of injury or something in his personal life that sort of messes up his head like is there a higher correlation to his pitching going down or him being like a useless or less useful pitcher and hitter and do you have to kind of discount that also it's just so much money i I can't imagine we've seen anything close to a 700 million dollar contract in sports yeah i think that you're right that there's you'd feel more comfortable spreading that type of money across two people just in this situation where there's a serious injury. So I think you probably do discount it. You don't pay him as if he's the top hitter and top pitcher, even though that might be the case. I think you probably end up discounting it down to somewhere closer to like 50 a year. You also have to keep in mind, he makes so much money off the field. I think I saw he makes like I think Trout makes like five million off the field. He makes forty million. That that could be wrong, but I I feel like I saw those numbers. Well, I believe it, especially you know like when you're welcoming in a new a new market, a, a very large market, right? I think that Ichiro had a, a really big off. So with field. with all the money he's getting well. off the field, you might think that it's not as important to him to that also make... might that also might help your organization, right? So like Seattle still has a bunch of fans that they wouldn't have otherwise because they had Ichiro. Yeah. So when you talk about, I mean, all of these organizations are now going for such high prices. You wonder if he almost gets a boost because of that stuff in the sense that he's so marketable and your franchise will be worth so much more if you had him and, and you know, you gain all of these new fans, right? Like how many people in China are still Rockets fans because of Yao Ming? Like it's it's actually pretty high. So, yeah. you know, when you have these huge markets that are attracted, especially to, you know, arguably the best player of all time in Otani, it, it, it could help your franchise in other ways. I, I'd be surprised if he got less than $60 million a year. 
But again, I don't, I don't really know. It's, it's kind of a funny thing where this is the first time I can think of where like, so when you go back to that LeBron 2010 free agency, and I don't really consider 2014 as big of a, a deal free agency wise, it was really just Cleveland or Miami, but he was getting it paid. I know he took a small discount to Miami, but I think the max was like 18 million at the time and you're in a capped sport. So yeah, if LeBron had had an uncapped sport at 25 and the best player in the league and the whole thing, he would have commanded a ridiculous amount of money. This is actually that situation, but you have owners who are only worth a couple, you know, a few, I say only, but like not that many multiples of paying this guy 700 million, like we talked about. So it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, and whether, I mean, he could just go back to like, it just, it feels like there's so little information out of the camp other than he wants to win and stay in the West coast. Like he could just stay quietly and do it. So I don't think that they should trade him unless they really think they're going to lose him. Because I guess to finally answer your question, I don't see a team offering that much when he's just about to be a free agent. Anyway, there, there aren't like the inherent home field advantages that you have. And I think the angels should do everything they can to keep him because they do have Mike Trout and they, he is there and he does like the West coast, like all of that, like they have a chance, I would assume. So I, I would do everything I can to keep them. If I were the angels, you're just not going to get almost, back where it makes sense. Yeah. I almost go the opposite way. I think it feels like he's definitely gone. I think he probably is ready to start playing playoff baseball and the angels have proven that they're just not building a winner around him. So I would want to get any assets I can like, it, it uh it, it seems to me i mean my entire lifetime the yankees have come like swooping in with a godfather offer every time there's a name like this floating around i find it hard to believe that he doesn't but i mean i don't know shohei's like personal preference i did hear when he was coming into the league he wanted to be on the west coast to make sure he was closer to japan and i don't know if that was a time zone thing or easier for travel but I don't know. Yeah, I, it seems to me like the Yankees, if I were the Angels, I would see the blood in the water and know that know what was coming and just want to get as many assets as I can for the best player in baseball and not have him walk away for free. Yeah. So there was one other thing I wanted to talk about if we landed on the, the MLB check in, which yeah was the disparity between the AL Central and the AL East. So I don't know if you've seen this or how close you follow, but all five teams in the AL East. Yeah. At least I, I saw five games meme. above 500. Yeah. And, I saw the meme that had them on top and it was like, this is the, this isn't just them separated by divisions. This is how the standings look. Right. It goes all five AL East and all five AL Central. And then, yeah. then the AL Central has no one, there's no one within five games of the last place team in the AL East. And statistically this has to be the craziest thing ever because not just do you have five teams better than the other five teams right like just to have that order would be very unlikely but also the fact that they all play each other right like the whole al central beats up on the royals and i assume that uh, again i excuse my lack of knowledge of baseball but i assume there's a decent amount more divisional games versus outside of your division games and they all beat up on the royals and beat up versus the AL East, it's not like they're all just sitting five games above 500. That's the last place team. The Rays are, what, second in the whole major leagues in record? And Blue Jays are doing great, and the Orioles are doing great. Like These teams are just solidly above 500, despite having to play each other so much. I think it's statistically crazy. Yeah, it seems so unlikely. I agree. If they're playing each other so often, you would think that someone would start to stand out from the group, or at least – 
they wouldn't all be like that would mean that they have to in order for this to be the case they must have gone about 500 against each other and just get absolutely destroyed every time they're playing out of division yeah and and then the opposite for the al east where they all beat each other up and then they just whip up whip everyone else i'm very curious to see how this holds up i don't know if there's much precedent for it i know in football we've had like six and ten division winners but i don't think i can ever think of a year where in the where you have the six and ten division winners and also like and this is five teams instead of four teams keep in mind for a lot of the nfl divisions where you have the last place team be like nine and seven right maybe i'm wrong but that just seems like especially with five teams it seems like something that just wouldn't happen and it's crazy that it did but anyway let's keep moving uh let's spin the wheel for the next topic all right giving it a spin All right, we got Wemby, career predictions. Uh, he's played two games so far, and then the Spurs shut him down for the rest of Summer League. He had one strong showing and one dud. Which game was more insightful for his future, and what are your thoughts seeing him play for the first time in Vegas? So I actually want to hear your thoughts first as someone who infamously said he was going to be no better than Porzingis. Uh, I want to hear what you thought of his first two games Uh in summer league i think it's clear the way he affects the game on defense is going to be something that porzingis never really fully tapped into i think that there's like i forget i think mark jackson talks about this a little bit it's not being a good shot blocker isn't just doesn't always just show up in people's field goal percentages there are the shots that people are scared to even take so you see guards get downhill see that Wemby's in the area and circle back out and he affects the game in a way that I don't think, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone affected on that end in the way that he does on offense. I, I don't see it. I think he, I hate that he plays like a guard. He doesn't, he can't get down low and bang. The few times he tried to post up Brandon Miller, the ball got popped out. His handle is not even that tight. There was one, the like pull up jumper he had at the free throw line he didn't even want to pull up there. He was trying to go past the guy and the ball got caught on his hip. He just, it's smooth, I guess, for a seven foot five guy. I just don't see him when he's going against full NBA bodies. Like, I I don't know. I I don't see it as, uh, we'll see. He, the 27 point game was somewhat impressive. He's been shooting terribly from three. I'm just not impressed by him offensively. I promise you, I will be betting on both Scoot and Chet to win rookie of the year. I don't think there's any chance Wemby plays a full season. The Spurs shut him down after two games. The second he gets a little bit of a bump, he's getting shut down. They're going to be super safe about him. And I just, I don't see him winning rookie of the year. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I think the rookie of the year is a separate conversation because it largely hinges on him playing 65 games. And I think if he does play 65 games, he will win rookie of the year. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess to, to answer the first part of it, defensively, I think he'll be the best defensive player in the league very quickly. I mean, the the biggest thing that impressed me about Wemby, and to be honest, I've watched a decent amount of him, like highlights from his French league or even like some longer clips. And then when he played the the G League, uh, the overtime team in the US, I watched, uh, I watched that game. So I've seen a bit of, but every time I watch him, he just moves so well for that size. Like like you mentioned that he struggled to post up Wemby, uh, Brandon Miller, but like he was like kind of legitimately guarding Brandon Miller at times. And 
also helping and blocking shots from the weak side. Like the fact that you could switch him onto a guard and be okay just because of his length. We've had Rudy Gobert win defensive player of the year. How many times? Two, three times? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Wemby moves so much better than he does. And a lot of what Gobert does well, and obviously he's meteor, but he's he's like four or five inches shorter than than Wemby, is he blocks shots. And and we saw Tyson Chandler make a defensive career out of being just a frightening level shot blocker in, in the pain. Wemby's just so far above these guys in terms of being able to block shots and affect shots and have have people looking around because you never know where this tarantula looking guy is going to be. And, and his defensive impact is going to make it hard for Scoot Henderson who may be slightly better at this point offensively to like have a genuine case. Cause so much of this stuff is driven by advanced stats and just his impact defensively will make it really tough for someone else to win rookie of the year. If he gets to 65 games, which I agree is a, a big question mark, obviously now in terms, and yeah. I think people somewhat misremember and I'd have to look back at the numbers, like exactly the load managing that Spurs did. I think those guys were kind of almost always playing at least 65 games. I think they just weren't playing a lot of minute, but I could, I mean, it was a bunch of years ago at this point now, so I might be misremembering. Obviously the Spurs sort of pioneered load management. It's a whole different world with load management then versus now. And I feel like there's definitely more of a culture of like, he got a little bit of a boo-boo time to shut him down. Let's be safe. It's Uh, definitely plausible. So we'll we'll have to see with the games. That that stuff's always tough to predict. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that he is a slightly more agile Rudy Gobert. I think that's a really good comparison. Yeah, and four inches taller. (laughs) That's what I expect out of him. I expect him to be a defensive player of the year, great shot blocker. Maybe eventually he learns to just rim run and finish the way that Gobert has learned. But I don't see him as this offensive hub that people think he can be. So I think early on, he won't be, I think, do I think he's going to average 23 points a game or 24 points a game, something like that? Probably not. More like 14, 12. Uh, I think four, I mean, it depends how many minutes they're playing him and like how they run their offense, obviously. I mean, are they giving him a green light to to shoot, even if he's going to be a 32%, 31% three-point shooter? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I think him in sort of a, first off, it's like a bailout person at the end of the shot clock. There, there's going to be very few people from the start that are much better because, yeah, his handle, his handle is obviously overrated in the sense that he dribbles great for seven five guy, but it's impossible to be a really good dribbler at that size. The ball bounces up too high, like as a short guard who would try and steal, like for him to get it to his hand, there's just a lot of space between the ground and his hand, and that makes it really hard to have tight handles because. There's going to be people underneath him that are trying to intercept the ball in between the ground and his hand. So I agree, like him isoing out on the perimeter, you could do it late shot clock because he can get a decent look anytime he wants. But I was pretty impressed. He had that that uh, offensive rebound where he just snatched it over the guy and dunked it on his head. I think he does a, a good job of knowing when to sort of leak out. And he's absolutely devastating if you're sort of like one-on-one stuck with the guy and he down low. He, he's not big. And if he tries to post you up like as the play, he's not going to be able to sort of get position. But if he beats you down the court and he's already sitting there and he gets the ball, like what are you going to do? He's promised you he is at least five inches taller than whoever is down the court with him unless he's playing like a Porzingis type who he then doesn't have a huge strength mismatch against. So I think eventually he'll be a good shooter. He's already a good free throw shooter and he'll be able to get to the line. I mean, you kept seeing people in summer league fouling him just because they were trying to contest his shot. And they would hit his elbow and they would hit his arm because he's so tall and long. So I think he, I think he'll be great. 
I think it'll be like really, really great on both ends. I never thought no one, nobody thinks that an 18 year old, 19 year old kid in year one is going to be an all NBA guy on both ends. And you think of any rookie that's ever been like that. They usually were in the league. They're usually much older, like 22. So, but when he's 22, do I think he'll be an all NBA guy? I think probably assuming he's healthy and all that. Uh, We'll see. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying betting against him. I'm glad he gave me a, full game of seeing what I think he's going to be, which is a great defensive player who shot two for 13 from the field. So we'll see who's right. But I think I get a lot of value. He's just giving me good value on rookie of the year. Uh, When looking at Scoot and Chet, I I love Chet, by the way. I think he's, he looks great and he's put on the weight. Not like Wemby, but whatever. We'll have a conversation another time. He's put, he's put on good weight. Kind (laughs) of. He looks kind of skinny still, whatever. Let's um I mean he might be better this year, although honestly I'd be surprised. But I, I don't think he has the same kind of ceiling or even floor that that Wemby is has. But Chet, we can talk about another day. Let's take a break and then we will get to the B block. Sounds good. Okay, I've got a new promo code for Mojo, the stock market for sports. The code is TPG Match. So TPG M A T C H gets you a twenty percent deposit match up to two hundred dollars. Uh, I highly recommend doing this and playing their Sunday Slams promotion, which is only available in New Jersey and has been incredibly profitable for people tailing ROI guy in the Discord. So again, TPG match, 20% deposit match up to $200. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Draft a fantasy team against your friends for tonight's or tomorrow's games to win cash prizes. Or try out their Pick'em game, where you can predict player stat projections for a chance to win big. Underdog's slick mobile app is easy to use, and it's even easier to just start playing. Go to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Sign up with the promo code PGP, the Promo Guy Podcast, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PGP. back in so for the big thought today kind of like we do every month when i put out previous month's results just sort of analyze them talk about what went well what didn't uh sort of extrapolate that to previous months and then how we think it'll look in future months so june let me just pull up the spreadsheet we made 808 dollars bringing the account to thirty thousand nine hundred twenty six dollars the breakdown my book was actually a lot more even than it's been uh which is that usually is usually don't end up evenly distributed like we are here. So DraftKings up $375. They led the way for the second straight month. And what went well there, I have this SGP column. It's not necessarily only done on DraftKings, but I think most of it probably was where I just put in, if it's an SGP promo, how do we do on the actual SGP bet? And we made $114 on the SGPs alone. So that's great. That's I think every month we've basically been up on those. Yeah, what is that? It's March, April. So it's four straight months. And I think that's all I've... So I've only been calculating it and labeling it that way since 
March. So all four months, we've actually made money on the SGPs themselves, which is obviously great. Then the free bets that came from all this stuff, we made $221. That was led by the $100 Vegas win. And I honestly don't remember the other. So the other ones, but free bets. So that, you know, these no sweat promos, they're really great. It, I, presumably we made somewhere around uh, $335 off of the no sweat type promos. And then that makes sense. The DraftKings would be up $375. FanDuel came in second, up $247. Boost. I put boost. It, it, it's always just the FanDuel boost because I usually label the DraftKings super boost as super boost. So boost up $212. So all but the but $30 of the FanDuel profits came from the FanDuel boost. So that marks the ooh, last month FanDuel boost were down. So this month they were up $212. Last month, $77. They were down. But and then April, they had a monstrous April. FanDuel boost were up $761. March, monstrous month. FanDuel boost were up $580. So we're up. Oh, and then February, monstrous month. FanDuel boost were up $568. So it's actually been a really great year for FanDuel boost. If you add up January to June, it was up about $2,230, the FanDuel boost that we did. So now this month, they're down a couple hundred bucks. And people are like, <laughs> somebody said, they said I was a tout. I was a tout account because I was touting these FanDuel boosts that have been losing for all year or something. I don't know. We're up probably two grand now uh, after just six months, seven months of the year. And I think that's pretty great, especially on $50, $25 bets. And honestly, not that many. So the ROI has been great on them. Obviously not past couple of weeks, but that's such a short lens to look at. Even if you scale out to six months or if you go further back, it they've been really, really great and they're up almost every month. So Fandle Boost, again, successful month. DraftKings successful month. Caesars up $185. I'm looking through what were the big hits there. We had some almost hits with like Scotty Scheffler and the free bet that came from that. But I think that the biggest hit was the Austin Riley home run. We did well in the home run promos in general. We had the Freddie Freeman one. The Ronald Acuna one, that was part of a, one of those was a replacement. Oh, and then Pete Alonso. So those were the three bets and then two of those hit because uh, one of those died. So two of those three hit. And then we had the Austin Riley one, most recent term. So the, the Caesars home run promos were where we really found our success on Caesars. So up $185. And that marks the, ah, they were down 28 bucks in April. I almost don't want to count 164. So the last few months, they've been up $185 in June. Up $87 in May, down 28 in April, up 276 in March, and up 164 in February, and then down small in January. So uh, actually down 234. So that's a real amount in January. But pretty good year for Caesars. Again, they really had gone away for a while. So I'm just happy to have them back in the rotation. More EV plays, the better we, we end up doing. So there ended up being 107 bets in June. I kind of like doing this during the dead months, comparing it year over year. So last year, there were 74 bets in June. And that's just looking at how many promos are really being given out. So obviously, there's a, there's a, there have been a few more this year than last year. And I'm actually curious. I'm kind of doing this live now. So May of last year, there were 102 bets. May of this year, there were 122. So it's been kind of consistently more, even if some of the maxes are lower. April, I'll, I'll stop after April. April, we had 133 bets. April of last year, we had 80 bets. So it's been very consistently a decent amount more bets this year rather than last year. Some of the maxes are lower. The profits seem to be somewhat similar, just looking quickly. So uh, we'll see if that trend continues as we go forward. But again, year over year, I'm pretty happy with how everything's been going. 
I mean, wow, March, there were 142 bets. That must have been because of the March Madness promo last year. There were 82 bets. So definitely a, a decent amount more each month of this year versus last year. And I hope to continue to see that, see that even if there are lower maxes. Obviously, $5 is too low, but you, you guys get what I'm saying. So that's all I've got for June results. Uh, Nick, do you have any thoughts there? No, just I've, I'm curious how these DraftKings limits will affect performance in football season and if you're worried about that at all i feel like ramping into football season ideally you don't have to deal with five dollar limits no yeah i mean look i'm always worried just it's out of my hands what the sports books would do and they can always decide that promos aren't for them and all that but i was definitely more worried last year because they, they seem to have really gone away they'd really gone away and then they came back so strong so that's instilled some confidence. I also think that, like I've said, literally since this podcast started and probably on spaces before that, DraftKings and Caesars losing market share last year was really good because it sort of teaches them that they can't run away from promos, even as much as like Jason Robbins, the DraftKings CEO will say he doesn't like a lot of the promo stuff. Like they've done it and it and we talked about last week the the R. Linehan tweet where DraftKings have been rewarded for it. Like there's just too much of a correlation right now between promos and market share where I think that I'm relatively confident that they're not going to go away this coming football season. I've talked about this a bunch already on this podcast. So yes, profits, if if you go from $10 no sweats to $5 no sweats, yeah, I'd expect to make about half as much on DraftKings, right? And some of the promos, like the golf promo, which is off to a nice start, by the way, uh, went from $20 maxes for most people to $5 maxes. So that would be cutting it you know, to a quarter as much. So yeah, our profits would definitely see a big nosedive if this continued year over year. I mean, this continued for football season, but I just don't see that happening. And I'd be very surprised. And I will change my tune dramatically, obviously, if that's the case. So we'll have to see. But I'm I'm confident. I've said I'm confident. I think that performance, yeah, this really just means we've had a tough start to July. It'll be really hard to make it back because $5 maxes don't generally get you 300 bucks in a couple of weeks of profits, certainly not an EV. So we might need some positive variants to like have a positive month or something, but it's July. It's quiet on the promo front. And hopefully we can continue to have sex. Oh my God. Success with Dinger Tuesday and, you know, some of the other stuff that we've been doing in order to sort of keep things afloat for the next month and a half or so month, month and a half. Uh, yeah. Agreed. Uh, excited to see what, what comes in football season, but yeah, keeping it moving. Let's uh let's see what's grinding your gears this week. What's got you fired up? You know what really grinds my gears? What really grinds my gears is the Britney Spears incident with Wemby. So for those of you who didn't hear, and I'm sure most of you did hear, Britney Spears ran up to to Wembanyama in Vegas, tapped him on the well as high as she could get up. We'll call it the shoulder, and the security guard, without looking back, just sort of took his hand and like swatted her away, and. I guess it's unclear. It seems kind of seems like he hit her hand into her head. And Brittany fans and Brittany kind of leading the charge kind of went after Wimbanyama and have given him a really hard time and is saying, like, how could the security guard do this? And what really grinds my gears about it is Brittany Spears, literally my entire life and most of her life, has been out front and center saying, leave me alone. Paparazzi, you know, crazy fans. Like, it's, it's like ruining my life. And there was a whole campaign. I don't remember what it was called, like leave Britney alone or something. Just let her live. There was a whole South Park episode on it. And 
how could she of all people be making a stink about a famous 19 year old getting harassed by someone by, by a random fan and you might say that she's not a random fan but they didn't even look back at who it was and i don't see why it would even matter that much that it was a celebrity and the security guard swatting her away like i'm sure britney's security guards have, have pushed people away have swatted people away no nope, nobody went after her instead instead they said leave her alone as they should have he should be able to live a somewhat normal life for a seven foot five super famous guy so i just it really grinds my gears that all of the same people who've been saying leave britney alone let her live her life are then saying oh when Manyama should have treated her better and that crazy fans can just run up to celebrities while they're walking around and tap them on the shoulder and it's all good like it's the most hypocritical campaign or thing i've ever seen and leave this poor 19 year old kid alone yeah i mean I do think it's a pretty insane take that your opinion here is it's Britney's fault that Britney got hit in the face. Do you see the video of the security I, I have, guard swiping? I, I've seen the video. I mean, he blindly, like, it could have been like, it could have been a 12 year old girl. He blindly swipes hard. Like, I, I don't know. I'm more surprised that Britney doesn't have, doesn't have her own security team that's like standing in between her and his security team. That's I was actually to be surprised like, about that as well. She's just and, running around Vegas by herself. Yeah, like sprinting up to people. Yeah, I, I'm. I was actually equally surprised at that. And look, am I am I pro security guard who, like you said, it could have been a 12 year old girl and maybe he he kind of too strong with his hand, but. It's a tough job. And I'm telling you, Britney security guards have done this as well. Like, like you are pushing people away. And this person sprinted up to him and touched Wimbanyama. Like, I know that if I were in Vegas, and I did that, that I would get swatted. I get it. She's famous. And she thinks that she can she can do this. And that she's offended that she wasn't treated like the celebrity that she's she also is. a like a, she's also a like five foot three girl like you're a i know but starting this whole campaign against Manyama because the security guard accidentally like moved his hand a little bit too hard like he didn't slap her in the face he didn't he he, he, didn't, he didn't not like, slap her in the he face didn't need to he... like knock her down he was just like whoa i can't believe we let somebody somebody run up to Manyama and make contact like you got to get her way and you can't just run up to people and like you know, hit him in the shoulder just because you're Britney Spears. Like nobody can do that. And security guards are kind of like known for roughing people up who try and do that. So this whole thing is a surprise and a story because it's Britney, you know, hit me baby it's one Brit more time. <laughs> it's Britney, bitch. <laughs> but I, I just think that the whole, and I, I get that she's offended, but like the whole campaign against this 19 year old kid. And they were like clowning him on the internet and stuff just because his security guard may have been a little too rough when she clearly acted inappropriately like sprinting up to him like that and she of all people should know that it's really tough to keep people away and that you can't just do that so it just makes no like i think it's the most ironic story of our of the year maybe of our lifetime that the face of leave me alone get the paparazzi out of my face let me live my life acted this way and is offended that she wasn't shown the time of day yeah, I mean, I you would think that of all people, she would know better. But I also feel like she was like, uh, I'm Brittany. What are the chances I get punched in the face? <laughs> exactly. Just running up to say hi. I'm more impressed that she like she's a fan of Wemby. Is she a Spurs fan? Is she a French basketball fan? Like, is she a huge NBA fan? I, it's funny because I, I maybe she's a big French League fan, but... <laughs> 
I was equally surprised that she's such a super fan that she sprints up to this man and like I presumably wanted a picture or something, right? Maybe and, a hug. And I, I get that she she might know who who he is just because of how identifiable he is. But yeah, I was pretty surprised at her excitement to go run up and see him as well. But I guess that's kind of a side story. It's the Wemby effect. It's the Wemby effect. Rookie of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's it for our show today. Thank you to our sponsors, Underdog Fantasy and Mojo, the stock market for sports. Stay tuned to my plays and podcasts, whatever, on all platforms. Great review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And we will see you next week. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, guys. Thank you.